Certain men and women have a powerful gift for preaching and evangelism, and these are indeed some of God's ministry gifts to individuals. But the Lord never intended that only a few should shoulder all the responsibilities of proclaiming the gospel. The simple fact is, God has given every believer the authority to be His witnesses in the world. I like to think of it this way. Believers are the Lord's errand girls and His messenger boys. So how do we receive assignments from God, and where do we find the spiritual authority to accomplish them? The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Hello, I'm Christine Dark. I hope to offer some helpful biblical answers in this program concerning our spiritual authority. I like to call some of our ministry assignments a prophetic summons. By that I mean the Lord conceives the spiritual assignment, it's the Holy Spirit who comes up with the agenda, and then He summons us with His strategy of how to accomplish a specific assignment if we're willing to carry it out. A messenger of God in the Bible is described as a sent one, a person who's commissioned to share the gospel either at home or across state and national boundaries. The Lord confirms and sends each one of us that He calls to specific tasks. It's a rather intimidating thought that the spiritual destiny of a town, a city, a region, a nation, or even a continent could depend upon our obedience or our participation in prayers or financial support. And I often watch with wonder as the Lord Himself vets and eliminates the timid and the ambivalent workers in His worldwide harvest fields. One of the best examples in the Bible is Gideon's army, as described in the book of Judges. Gideon went through a process of eliminating the weak and the untrustworthy before putting together a formidable army, but a small one of just 300 excellent men who marched to victory. Gideon's army illustrates that the Lord is looking for diligence in those that He sends. God gives the general marching orders, and if a leader is operating in the will of God and has a track record with God, you can be confident being a part of that leader's mission. After one of our outreaches in Cairo, in Egypt, a team member sent me a note saying that she had experienced a sense of safety under the anointing of our ministry. And likewise, when my husband and I were members of Evangelist Reinhard Bonka's team in Africa for six years, we traveled under a strong covering. And that was because Reinhard Bonke possessed a mighty territorial authority. Through years of struggle and faithfulness, he had gained a place of authority on the continent of Africa. Here's something important. Highly sensitive assignments are accomplished with 
proven team members. You see, it's potentially dangerous to travel with unproven ministry associates. That's why we meet many potential future team members in conferences and in life. And depending upon their track record, they may be invited to accompany us on more sensitive journeys. It's imperative to get to know our co-workers. The Apostle Paul relied on loyal and proven members of his apostolic band. He testified in 2 Corinthians that he could find no rest in the spirit because he was missing the companionship of his faithful co-laborer named Titus. Well, our close and proven team members are vital to us because some persons who have traveled with us turned out to be hard work. The only way to find tested and proven team members ultimately is to travel and spend time with them. Travel just brings out the best and the worst in people. Every leader is looking for loyal workers with an excellent spirit who will not break rank and who are not attempting to impose their own agenda on a ministry assignment. In the Bible, the reason the king chose Daniel above many others is because Daniel possessed an excellent spirit. Unfortunately, you wouldn't want some believers on gospel journeys because they're spiritually unbalanced. For example, many are too demon conscious. And while we're certainly aware that regional principalities and powers are forces to reckon with in our ministry, we're more conscious of the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the cross, the shelter of the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus. And we practice principles set forth in Psalm 149 to keep the high praises of God in our mouths and in our hands, this two-edged sword, meaning the word of God, to execute the judgments written against wicked hosts of darkness in the demonic realm. Most of all, we are aware of the Lord's promises of his protection and his presence when he has called us to accomplish a specific work. So a spiritually healthy team member is someone who has developed a reverential fear of the Lord and who doesn't draw enemy fire, so to speak, by acting presumptuously. Some believers, even leaders, are too casual concerning God's presence. Our team members were praying fervently for a leader in a certain high-profile nation, but that pastor couldn't turn off his mobile phone long enough to honor God's presence. To our amazement, he continued to text on his mobile phone while the team surrounded him and prayed for him. Well, when we're out in the field as well as at home going about our regular routines, we must have a greater revelation of the power of the blood of Jesus. I'm so happy to tell you that the blood of Jesus has never failed me as a spiritual weapon when we have experienced spiritual attacks. Some believers claim God called them to a specific task, but after a decade, they're still stuck in. They've never obeyed. They keep waiting for yet another confirmation from God. However, we can be trained through continual obedience. Sometimes we don't have to pray very long about a matter. 
And God can become so reliant upon an obedient servant or handmaiden that he can assign faithful workers multiple tasks because we've learned to recognize voice, his ways, his callings through practice. You see, it's through practice that we can become increasingly skilled in receiving the Lord's instructions and fulfilling them. An assignment from the Lord can be received in a flash, but most of the time it's an unfolding revelation, a progression that I liken to a hospital drip. Just as intravenous therapy slowly drips liquid into a patient's arm, so it is when we're connected to the Lord and His Holy Spirit. He begins to drop His thoughts and plans into our minds, into our thoughts, and His desires concerning a certain prophetic action or a gospel campaign in a nation, a conference, a letter, a visit somewhere, a phone call, or any other mission. While you begin to recognize this pattern, your spirit will comprehend that the Lord is after something. Maybe he wants you to write a book and he keeps dropping that thought into your spirit. And while one assignment is in progress or winding up, often the Lord begins to drop into your spirit your next assignment. Sometimes we become tense, but the Lord wants us to enjoy his work, resting in his goodness his timing, his guidance, continually exuding the joy of the Lord. For example, during our first Jericho march in the actual biblical city of Jericho in 1999, I was very grave at first, sensing the responsibility as the leader of this assignment to set spiritual captives free. But my prayer partner, Miss Florence of Blessed Memory, who used to live in the Garden of Gethsemane, Help me to be at ease. She prophesied that all of us should just enjoy the march. After all, it was God who called us to the assignment, and it was God who opened the way for us to hold an evangelistic campaign afterwards in Jericho City Square. And so it was a great liberty and wisdom to relax and enjoy the work that God had called us to do in a potentially dangerous situation. Multiple times since, when I've faced difficult and challenging situations, I've remembered Miss Florence's exhortation to just enjoy the assignment. Jesus said we simply have to believe him in order to do his works, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and especially, he wants us to refrain from murmuring. Complaining and murmuring brought the Lord's judgments throughout the Bible, and God lets us know in his word that he hates murmuring, grumbling, and complaining. That's why we say in our ministry, there'll be no grumbling in the camp. God expects us to spread the fragrance of Messiah everywhere with a sweet spirit to bring the Lord's presence into dark and sinister places. There is a thing called presence evangelism. Your presence on the scene brings the Lord's presence. They say the best sermon is sometimes your presence as preserving salt and light, exposing evil. I love the story about Faith Apostle Smith Wigglesworth. A fellow passenger in the same train compartment suddenly fell on his knees in front of Wigglesworth, begging for his prayers because he said, your presence convicts me. Well, Wigglesworth 
had not been witnessing to the man, but there was something about his demeanor, about his walk with God, the anointing on his life, perhaps reading his Bible and so on, that was visibly present. Carriers of the glory of God are noticeable. I'll never forget seeing the light of the Lord's countenance shining from the face of a consecrated woman of God. Let's learn to recognize true consecration. Unlike our huge user-friendly churches today, it's said of the early church in Acts 5.13 that none of the rest of the people dared to join them. But nevertheless, the people held the believers in honor and high esteem. The early congregation of Messiah met regularly and in remarkable harmony on the temple porch named after King Solomon. But even though some people admired them, many others didn't dare to join them. On the other hand, those who were willing to put their trust in Messiah were added daily. And the sick were carried out to the streets and laid on stretchers and mats with the hopes that even the shadow of the Apostle Peter would overshadow them. And so great crowds came from the villages surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and the demon-possessed, and they were all healed according to Acts 5.16. We were in Kenya, and when Reinhard Bonka visited the fruit and vegetable market, a man was suddenly healed because he said the shadow of Reinhard Bonka fell on him, and it was a point of contact for faith, and the man was healed. A number of years ago, I received a message that voodoo priests were planning to sacrifice a goat on a mountaintop to rededicate a territory to Satan. Quite alarmed, I shared this information with evangelist Reinhard Bonka, but his response was classic Reinhard, and we need to take his attitude on board. He said, oh, Christine, don't you know Jesus has already dealt with all that hocus-pocus 2,000 years ago at the cross? Well, I certainly learned to take that on board. This biblical revelation concerning the efficacy of the power of the blood of Jesus and the Bible verse from which this program is named is inspired by Daniel 11:32b, which says that the people who know God will be strong and carry out exploits or take action, as some translations render it. So we are co-laborers with the Lord as he leads us. We have to know how to receive assignments from him to go places and do things. And we can become adept at receiving marching orders because of the principle mentioned in the New Testament in Hebrews 5.14, which states that our minds can be trained by practice to distinguish good from evil, and to discern. Looking at the important issue of spiritual authority, God is reminding us in passages such as Ezekiel 22:30 that in every generation the Lord is looking for a man or a woman to stand in the gap for the land that God shouldn't destroy it. More than ever, God is still seeking a strong man, a strong woman of faith and integrity. Am I going to be that person? Are you that one God is searching for? May it be so for the sake of our nations, which are tragically, quickly disintegrating.
Now, a key scriptural passage about spiritual authority is found in Jeremiah chapter 1, one of my favorite chapters in verses 5 to 7, where God commissions the prophet Jeremiah and says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. But Jeremiah said, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. And the Lord gently rebuked him, saying, Don't say you're too young, for you must go to everyone I send you, and you must say whatever I command you to say. And don't be afraid of them, for I will be with you, and I will rescue you, granting spiritual authority. Concerning one who has authority to minister in any given city, nation, or situation, there are several schools of thought. For example, the First Nations movement, such as American Indians or Aborigines, may claim that they have the most intrinsic right to make a spiritual claim in a place because, after all, they were literally the first persons in their nation, and therefore they have a special tie to the land. I do believe God honors indigenous concerns, but every Bible believer must affirm the truth that the Lord is never limited concerning whom he chooses. Some also say God shouldn't send women, but God being God is not limited by men. In fact, it's often been claimed that two-thirds of missionaries have been brave single women who were willing to go. God obviously does grant authority to nationals to speak the word of the Lord on behalf of their nations, but he also sends messengers across borders to accomplish a specific work. Sometimes it could be a prayer journey. In the Bible, God most often called an Israelite to minister to Israel, but he commissioned the Israelite Jonah to preach a revival to the Assyrians in Nineveh. And Ruth, who was from Moab, gained territorial authority in Judah because of her obedience to settle amongst God's people in Bethlehem. In fact, the Gentile refugee Ruth became the great-grandmother of King David, and therefore she appears in the lineage of Messiah. Now, according to 2 Chronicles 7.14, nationals have a responsibility to seek the Lord and to repent that verse, which we pray so often, says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. But God sometimes also reserves the right to send outsiders, such as Jonah, with his message to nations to repent. In our lifetime, God selected a man from Germany and granted him territorial authority in Africa. Nobody who knew him would deny that Reinhard Bonke was given a powerful anointing to preach to Africa, although he was not an African by birth. God called a British subject, William Carey, to share the gospel in India, and Carey became the father of modern missions. And the ramification of Carrie's obedience is still unfolding in the earth today. Mother Teresa was an Albanian by birth, but she impacted the world, not from her own native soil, 
but from the great nation of India. God even found an unknown girl from the American state of Georgia and transplanted her overseas in Israel, in Britain, in Pakistan, India. And although I'm a native-born American, by the grace of God, I also hold dual nationality as a British subject. This means I've also gained a place of intercession for the United Kingdom. In fact, natives of Israel and Britain have sometimes wondered why I'm living in their nations, and some may even question my spiritual authority. To them, I'm just a brash American, although I haven't lived in the United States for 40 years. I'm married to a Londoner, and both our sons have Oxford University degrees. Anybody who's called to carry out exploits for the Lord will be misunderstood. God expects us to press on and not be distracted by criticism because he's the one who calls us in the first place. He's the one who sends us and appoints us as we obey and persevere. In one of our many Jerusalem prayer meetings at the American Colony Hotel, an Israeli brother attended the meeting and boldly repented for the times that God had sent women to Israel as spiritual Deborahs, but he humbly said, we rejected them and called them Jezebels. He repented for that. It was a powerful and unforgettable prayer meeting. So again, who has authority to preach? Some believers might think an African preacher doesn't possess the same authority to preach in England as a native-born member of the Anglican or Methodist or Presbyterian churches and so forth. But think again. God has sent many African brethren to the shores of Britain to awaken a sleeping church. In fact, some of Britain's most vocal preachers today are Africans. So here's some thoughts to consider in summary. Spiritual authority is inherent among native-born believers who are citizens. Even if a person wasn't born in the country, but his ancestors hailed from that country, he or she may also sense a certain mandate to pray for that land. For example, one of my English friends is an intercessor who feels called and anointed to pray in Wales for a new move of God there because her ancestors were Welsh. So if you are not native-born, yet you have attained citizenship by virtue of allegiance to that land, you have gained a place of territorial authority. Furthermore, the sovereign Lord reserves the right to grant spiritual authority to certain individuals to minister in nations as he chooses, whether they are natives or not, whether or not they have become naturalized citizens. This is simply a prerogative of God Almighty. Some ministers may possess credentials granted by men, and there are plenty today who boast self-appointed credentials, and many are running around calling themselves apostles. On the other hand, there are apostles, sent ones, who have authority wherever God sends them to preach, regardless of their nationality. For example, there are apostles of messages such as apostles of faith, apostles of healing revivals, apostles especially gifted to teach on end-time prophecy, and so forth. These messengers have authority in any nation wherever God leads them, 
by virtue of the anointing they carry. Their message isn't theory. They live their message. They've had visions and dreams from God. They've paid a price in consecration. They're not just preaching from notes. They are the message by their life testimony and example. Ministers with genuine spiritual authority have gained their position by virtue of their obedience and secret dealings with God and by their unique anointing from the Lord. And the sovereign God reserves the right to send whomever he chooses for his own reasons, plans, and purposes. His ways are just past finding out. When Jesus commissioned his Israelite disciples, he sent them beyond national borders into all the world. And this generation has received the same great commission from the Lord to make disciples of all nations. The bottom line is, the great commission of Jesus carries spiritual authority in every place, in every circumstance, whenever and wherever. Believers are the Lord's sent ones. But I'm sad to say that the average believer in Jesus today doesn't sense the responsibility or urgency to carry out the Lord's great commission. Many church members give some type of missions offering, but very few believers comprehend the magnitude of our personal responsibility to share the gospel with the lost world. Jesus sent believers in the Great Commission, according to the Gospel of Matthew, to make disciples in all nations. And in John 20, 21, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So John's account of the Great Commission simply reports to us that our job on earth is the same job that the Father gave to Jesus, who came to seek and to save the lost. Well, my dear friends, all the signposts point to the fact that Jesus is coming very soon. The question remains, are you ready for the sudden appearance of the Lord Jesus in the sky? It's important not to delay your surrender to the Lordship of Jesus so that when he comes, he appears as your Savior and not as your judge. You can't save yourself and the church can't save you. Only the Savior is worthy to save us. The Bible teaches in Romans 10, 9 that if you're willing to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So take this to heart. In the meantime, I want to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv, which brings you news on current and end-time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. At our website and Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, we offer a library of videos 24-7, and we invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine called Exploits. Please feel free to share your thoughts with me on social media, and don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app. Today, I want to leave every true believer with a word of exhortation from the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word as an official messenger of the Lord. Be instant in season and out of season. In other words, keep your sense of urgency, whether the opportunity seems convenient or inconvenient. Correct those who are erroneous in their doctrine or behavior. Warn those who sin. Exhort and encourage those who are growing toward 
spiritual maturity and have inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. Amen. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom. I'm Christine Darg. Maranatha. Maranatha.